This is a Hog Sports Network podcast. The Hog Sports Network presents the basketball podcast of Mid-America, the premier Arkansas hoops podcast covering the Razorbacks men's and women's teams. Here's your host, WholeHogSports.com basketball analyst, Scotty Bordelon. Welcome into the basketball podcast of Mid-America. It is November 28th. I am back from the Bahamas. We are back in the studio. Happy to be talking some ball with Ethan Westerman today. Blake Sutton's in the back. He's putting on a, a cliff bar, is that what you said? Yeah, I skipped lunch. I had to take some diapers to my daughter's daycare. She had run out. So Yeah, that's always fun, that midday yeah. trip to daycare. Yeah. Take it out of you. Do it too much. How was your Thanksgiving, buddy? It was good. Um, you know, I went home from Hot Springs area, so got to spend time with family. Um and I watched down there, I watched one of the games from Atlantis. I watched uh, the Stanford game. That was on Thanksgiving Day, wasn't it? That was the day before. The day before. All yeah. these days ran together because came back and went immediately to Arkansas, Missouri football. Um, the Thanksgiving Day game, that was Memphis. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. Memphis. Arkansas spent Thanksgiving with Memphis. I feasted was... during Feast Week. I watched a lot of sports, so all these games and days ran together. But it was a pretty good Thanksgiving. What about you? I uh, had Starbucks on Thanksgiving from the wonderful people at Atlantis. Um, had a, I think it was a tomato pesto chicken sandwich heated from Starbucks. And then um, I was super basic and got a iced red velvet latte to wash it down. So I was, um, the sandwich was really good. And then I went to the sports book in Atlantis and watched the Lions just absolutely play their worst game of the year. And then went and covered Arkansas Memphis. So yeah, it was altogether wasn't too bad. I think uh, Wednesday night, Arkansas's game ended. And then I was working so late, it was after midnight before, or pretty close to midnight before I was done working, and went to a sandwich shop not too far from where. Arkansas was playing all of its games in the Imperial Ballroom. Had a really good Reuben from the sandwich there. So, or had a really good Reuben from the sandwich shop. And then, uh, yeah, covered Arkansas Stanford, Arkansas Memphis, and Arkansas North Carolina. Um, at the risk of understanding how this is going to sound, ask me anything about the Bahamas. Because I didn't think forward enough to do like a like a Q&A from, Q&A from the message board or anything like that. Uh, so I'll open the phone lines up to you guys. But I've already given you probably the best thing I have. I just had Starbucks on Thanksgiving. Well, before I ask my question, first of all, I just got to say that I'm bummed that this episode we don't get a drone flying behind you. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was something. Um, I was distracted. Never saw the drone again. Distracted the whole, the the whole time I was there. <laughs> yeah, Blake, did you watch the last episode that me and he did last week? Yeah, I saw that thing uh, buzzing around your head. It was pretty funny. The, I, I never saw it again. And then apparently the lights, we were exactly right. The lights did go out exactly like that before every game. It was like they were doing a um, a soft launch or a test run on, on the intro lights. They were just rolling the red carpet out on the basketball pod. I mean, I sat, yeah. I sat crisscross applesauce on the baseline, put my laptop up on, a, on the table that I ended up working at for two of the three games and just – Got it done there. I'm thinking that they, they saw your camera set up and they scrambled the drone to uh, get some intel on what you were doing. And then when they found out it was the Ooh, basketball that, podcast in America, they're was, like, okay, you, okay. That's you fine. think that was Stanford's, Stanford spies? 
because they knew I'd just come from watching Arkansas's practice, and they were like, oh, I wonder what intel he's got. Some of those drones have audio capabilities. You never know. Wow. And then the game goes to double overtime. Dude, we're connecting some dots here. We may or may not be speculating right now, but I think that we are on to like <laughs> some pretty strong leads. Um, I do have a question from these games for you, Scotty. Mm-hmm. All the technicals and there are a few flagrants in there. How does like is that just you thinking out of the ordinary? Like it was just the officiating crew they had. Were the players just really being that undisciplined from your perspective? I mean, you've covered this team a lot. You've seen them. Like I don't think that just like out of a three day stretch, like that was just an insane amount to get. Like, were they doing much out of the ordinary to you? Do so you think they was, were warranted? It was two techs for TB. Devo got one against Memphis, and then Layden Blocker got one. And I think the TB tech against Stanford was warranted. I mean, that player happened right in front of me. Right in front of me. And then I, I leaned over to Curtis Wilkerson uh, with 24 7. Uh, he was there, and I leaned over. And I said, "Dude, that's how my two-year-old kicks my four-year-old." It was so weak. And I thought Arkansas got pretty fortunate in that situation because watching it live and then on, again, again on replay, I didn't really think that Stanford's guys did anything to warrant a tech. So I thought Arkansas got out of that pretty clean. Like free throws weren't shot on both sides because it was a double technical foul. The Devo Tech hits a three, and he kind of makes the kind of makes the motion where he, you know, he I don't even know what you call that. But he made that motion and they teed him up really fast. Yeah. It looked like from the replay, like he was just like it looked like just straight at the Memphis bench, like kind of I don't know. Shot, I, may, I don't know. I'm thinking that maybe something was said from the Memphis side. I don't know that because I didn't hear it. But not very often that a guy shoots in front of, in front of an opposing team's bench and nobody on that bench says anything. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. kind of one of those deals. The laden blocker tech, I was I'm not sure what happened. Maybe I know laden a couple of times, or at least once, at least once, would score or get a steal or or a stop or something like that, and he would he said some stuff to to the opposing team's bench, and maybe it was just one of those deals where he just maybe said something he shouldn't have. Freshman mistake, uh, but I do I do I like that kid's fire a lot. The other tech on Trevor Brazil, from what I understand, he was being a little bit physical with a guy near midcourt, and officials kind of told him to knock it off. He didn't knock it off, so it's a little bit of hard headedness. So that's kind of a long way to say a couple of them were probably warranted like really warranted and then the the flagrant from tv i still haven't gone back and looked at it yet my view was kind of wasn't wasn't the best on that play but i think the kid he got busted pretty good um eric musselman said that was i asked him about the two texts from trevin and the flagrant foul asked him about that after the carolina game or i think it was after the carolina game and he was like yeah all that all that kind of stuff's been addressed but um I like this team's got some edge to it. It's just I wish that edge would come out more in terms of the de- like the defensive end kind of thing. I think that's where this team needs more of an edge. Like they're I think they're physical, obviously probably to a fault with all the 
personal fouls and whatnot. And I think, you know, uh, for for example, Caleb Battle, I think he fouled out of two games and had four fouls in another game. Like, he's a pretty physical guy. Uh, but I think you need to, to rein that in a little bit. Do you guys have any questions about maybe the Bahamas? Yeah, Anything I was going to – With the games? I was wondering if you saw any wildlife, if you saw any tortugas or anything like that. Good question. Saw a lot of pigeons hanging around the um, the deli and the pizza place, and they were afraid of absolutely nobody. I mean, they would they'd walk two two feet from your from your ankles and just make you get out of the way while you're walking down the sidewalk. Other than that, not not really. Um, when I was walking to that deli inside, um, I think it was after the. Stanford game, went and got that Reuben. You walk all the way down this long hallway, and you can walk down some stairs, and you can see kind of an, it's almost like an aquarium where there's all kinds of fish and stuff in there. That was really cool. I meant to go down there and get more of an up close look, but yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, pigeons were were crazy though. I mean, one hundred percent used to having a million people around them at all times and. If, like they would grab if any if like a two year old dropped food it wouldn't even hit the ground they were they were able to swallow it up. Anything else? I have a question about the games again. Um, I am interested to hear a lot more about the Bahamas because it sounds like you had a pretty good time down there. Had a there. good time, yeah. But um, I'm interested about this whole lead guard like the point guard situation of like I mean it happens every year I feel like there's some player who had an important time in a game on an Eric Musselman team like all of a sudden it's like wait this guy's in here and he's playing the whole game because he's proving himself or proving himself it seems like that was Layden Blocker um what he did in the Stanford game then you saw him the rest of the tournament you didn't really see L. Ellis that much um I guess thoughts on maybe where do they go from here do you did Layden Blocker secure, do you think, a rotation spot the rest of the year? Man, I don't think anything is secure, honestly, coming back. I mean, the only thing that would be sec secure is, I mean, you're going to play Trevin Brazil a lot because he's, you know, he's a he's a freak at his, at his size, even though he didn't have the best close to the tournament against North Carolina. He didn't, I think he was 0 for 4 from the floor and had three rebounds after he had back-to-back double-doubles. But... You know the only other, only other thing that I'm sure about is Tremont Mark, but Tremont Mark is a huge question mark for the Duke game. And honestly, the way that Eric was talking on Monday, like we don't don't really know when he's going to come back. Like he he got in uniform for practice yesterday, knowing that he probably wasn't going to practice at all. But he just he wants to be with that team. He's such a huge part of that team. And Eric said he was one of. You know, he's one of the toughest competitors that, that he's ever coached, not just college, um, but NBA, all those other pro leagues too. Tremont was – dude, that – that to watch Tremont score the ball the way that he did against North Carolina on that final day was unreal in person. And it, it got to the point, especially after that first half when he went eight for eight for 20 points, I was, like, surprised when he missed in the second half. He was getting – to his spots, and everybody knew pretty much when the ball touched his hands that he was going to go get one up. Mm -hmm. But they still couldn't keep him from the spots on the floor that he really wanted to sh take shots. I wrote about this the other day. 
Shout out to CBB Analytics for helping your boy out. He was 9 of 17 on two-point attempts beyond the lane. So lots of lots of jumpers, and he was 8 of 14 near the elbows. Nobody on – I tweeted this when he was going crazy in the first half, I think. It may have been early second half, but nobody in the whole country could guard him. And he, I think he finished – he had 34 points, 13 of 17 from the field, something like that. He was He was sensational. Getting to your question – I think Layden Blocker has bought himself some brownie points with the coaching staff, with the hustle plays, and it's very clear that this kid's A1 priority when he gets onto the court is to be a dog defensively. And I don't think you get that exactly with L. Now, I think and I had this thought before North Car- the North Carolina game, and I, I wrote it in the thoughts from the battles battle for Atlantis column that I wrote and published on Monday. I think if you're a lead guard and you play for Eric and you make turnover worthy plays that, you know, might not even result in a turnover, I think that you can kind of fall out of favor because you can, you can get the offense into a set, but maybe if your decision-making isn't sharp and you're not making quick decisions and the right decisions, and say, I remember I was watching the game this morning against Stanford and L's trying to get Arkansas into a set. They get Caleb Battle open in the right corner off like a, almost like a flex cut where he comes screaming down the baseline into the right corner and L, he's wide open. And all L's got to do is make a pass and the pass gets deflected out of bounds. Kind of like one of those type things. And then if you look at L's number, he was, uh, his numbers, he was 0 for 10 from the floor. Um, Turnovers were not great. Defense was not great. Uh, I think he's got to get he's got to find a way to get his confidence back, and I think that's only going to come through doing the right things behind the scenes, continuing to like stay bought in. All that's to say, like I think Layden made some made some definite progress uh, in terms of you know helping himself for playing time with hustle plays and that kind of thing, but he also. Eric was yesterday was like he's got to he's got to have more assists as a as a lead guard, you know, in the minutes that he's getting. And one of the things I wrote about was he gambles a little bit on defense. Um, sometimes it can lead to plays like at the end of the first half against North Carolina, right, where he gets that steal and he goes and my God, that kid can get up too. Um, but like at the end of the Stanford game, or toward the, what was it the. Um, the the three pointer that tied the game to send it what into double overtime, mm-hmm. he gambles on the inbound pass near half court, and that allows the the guard to get the shot off before the buzzer. So I mean I think you saw some good things from from Layden, but obviously I think there's there's still some freshman cleanup stuff for sure. While we're mentioning that uh, shot, just have to say that was one thousand percent of travel. Yes, I don't care. What league you're playing in, that was a travel. Just have to get that out there. Oh, for sure. Anything else y'all got Bahamas-related? I guess we could move on if y'all want to. I have one more question. Sure. Where do you think that the team, like, kind of big game coming up against Duke, which this might transition into what you already we were going to move on to, but, like, after – I mean, you've lost three or four games. Um, 
you know, the Bahamas, I kind of, I told you beforehand, I felt like it was kind of like an opportunity to go down there and like get at least a couple wins, maybe get your momentum. But I mean, it feels like right now, like they don't really have a ton of momentum going at all in their way. Like, how do you, do you think the Duke game, like turned it around? I mean, you're going to have a great crowd. You don't want to just lay flat in that one. Yeah, I think uh, it's a good question. Um, like maybe just some like very practical things that you think they need to just start doing that'll that'll help them out. Yeah, and I think it, Eric was asked that on Monday, and I think it starts defensively. Like you're just right now, you're not generating steals or generating havoc on defense. Like you had nine steals in a double overtime game against Stanford, and then against Memphis, four steals. North Carolina, four steals. Layden Blocker was the only guard that averaged more than one per game. Like that's that's gotta that's gotta change. Trivia time. Who was second on the team in steals per game in Atlantis? I just told you it wasn't a guard. So who do you think it was? Probably something crazy like Bayfall. It's a, a decent guess. Uh, maybe Chandler Lawson. It was Trevin Brazil oh. at one point three. So. I think the guards – and Eric kind of mentioned this. I can't remember which, like you mentioned earlier, days are kind of running together. Eric mentioned after one of the losses that he just – he thinks one of the holes that this team has is length on the wing. You know what I mean? Because last year it was – it was, um, you know, Anthony Black sometimes would guard off guards. Then you had Jordan Walsh. Those two guys had crazy wingspans. And this year it's like – it's guys who are 6'4 and 6'5 as opposed to 6'7 and if you want to call A.B. or Jordan Walsh 6'8 because I, I think we heard both of those at certain points last year. And then just fouling away from the basketball. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I wrote this earlier today. Arkansas, um, 39 personal fouls in three games and 24 shooting fouls. I haven't gone back and tracked to see how many exactly were off the ball, but I do remember there being quite a few. And I think you just you got to start defending without fouling, which is going to be pretty tough when you're playing a, a team in Duke who's got good guard play, veteran guard, and and Jeremy Roach, who Arkansas saw in the, at the Elite Eight a couple of years ago, and got some. Eric says like three first round guys in next year's draft potentially. So have to defend without fouling. And I think one thing that I'm going to be curious to see is just does Arkansas get a, a jolt from the crowd in the Duke game, kind of like it did for the Purdue game. You know what I mean? Is I feel like I don't feel I don't feel like Arkansas would have won that that Purdue game on a neutral floor, but I feel like they got some they got a boost from from the home crowd in that game too. Um, yeah, I guess we can just keep moving into. Um, Keep moving into the into the Duke preview. Duke is five and one. Uh, they're number seven in this week's AP poll. Arkansas has fallen out of the AP poll after three losses in the last four games. wasn't surprising to me at all. Arkansas, I think, was tenth among teams receiving votes who were outside the top twenty-five. And Duke is Duke's won four in a row. Remember, they lost the the home game to Arizona back on November 10th. And since then, they've beaten Michigan State, Bucknell, LaSalle, and Southern Indiana. So not exactly a murderer's row there. Um, 
but it's a team that's top 10 nationally in offensive efficiency and they're top 30 defensively. Interior on the interior offensively, I think this is where I think this is where Arkansas might find itself maybe in some trouble. I'm trying to pull up the CBB analytics shot chart for Duke because I looked at it last night and it's really good. Um, Ethan, you can kind of see this too. Duke is 70.1% for the season around the rim, 52.4% in the lane. And Kyle Filipowski is obviously a dude for them, but they've got, I mean, they've got a lot of, a lot of talent around them. What, what are kind of your expectations? I know you threw that out at me, but what are yeah. your kind of your expectations? Like, what do you think you'll see from Arkansas? I mean, it, it's, that's kind of a tough question to answer too, because you, Tremont marks a question mark, but probably leaning toward doubtful. Um, Jalen Graham, apparently we don't know if he exists anymore. Um, cause he didn't travel to the Bahamas and, Asked Eric Musselman for an update on him yesterday, and he said, "Nah, not no update at all." So, could be down your bet, your leading score, and a guy that could potentially go get you a, a bucket on the interior. Just what what do you expect? Yeah, it seems like Arkansas kind of at its best this year, and I'm I'm even including that Purdue exhibition on just at its best. I feel like they're making life difficult around the rim at best. Like Chandler Lawson in times that the teams looked really good, I feel like he's been a part of it. It's been like he's been – he was in that Stanford game, like incredible in my opinion, um, defensively at some points of the game. Him and uh, Trevor Brazil definitely changed kind of like the feel of that one with the way that they were able to just make um, – I mean, I feel like all that Stanford's buckets around the rim came like just straight guard drives at the rim. But like if whenever things actually got down low battling a little bit, I felt like they kind of held their own some. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, it does feel like one of those games that, I mean, you're going to have a great home crowd. They usually play pretty well at home. I know the Greensboro game is the, the latest one, kind of leaves a sour taste. But historically, under Eric Musselman, they've been really good at home, non-conference games. Um, I'd expect them to come out and um, look better. I just don't know if how much improvement you can make in that short amount of time to be able to really – I mean, it wouldn't shock me if they took down Duke, but it, it would it would surprise me. Yeah, I, I mean, there was a thread that was started on our message board yesterday, and it was basically just like Duke is going to roll all over Arkansas. And my thing is the guy who has taken Arkansas to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament three weeks in a row, what's his favorite line? I mean, we just need to put it on a banner at this point. Every every game takes on its own identity, baby. That's right. Like, just because Arkansas lost to North Carolina the other day, just because Arkansas lost to UNC Greensboro the last time they were in Bud Walton, doesn't mean that Arkansas is going to lose. It doesn't mean, like, Arkansas could have won Atlantis and they could lose Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, it's, every game is different and... If you don't think that Eric Musselman is trying to figure stuff out after a one and two stretch in Atlantis plus the Greensboro loss, I mean you're outside your mind. He literally he literally said on Monday that he's never watched more tape in a 24-hour span in his life. I mean, this is a guy that's been coaching for a long time, y'all. Like a long time. And he broke down every play from the last three games. He went, uh, he watched them in reverse order. So he went North Carolina, Memphis. Stanford, and he said, thank goodness I've got some good assistance because I was about to 
I was about to pull apart that Greensboro game too, but they stopped me. So, I mean, I think you just kind of throw the Greensboro thing out the window, even though that's a obviously a loss that kind of started the started the bad trend that you're on. But I don't think there's any need to go further than that, to be honest. I mean, you've got, I think, enough to, to worry about from Atlantis, and he had plenty of time on the travel day home. Apparently, they got they got to uh, they flew from Nassau to Miami, and then got stuck there for a while. Had to go through customs, fill out paperwork, and all that stuff. So it took them a while to get home. Um, Blake, haven't got your thoughts yet on on Arkansas and Atlantis. What did you see, buddy? You know, we talked about on the last pod that we did before you went to the Bahamas. We talked about Arkansas in Maui last year, and how they almost went one and two, but you know. Went to overtime with San Diego State and won. I predicted that they would go one and two in Atlantis, with, with only knowing that they would play Stanford. I thought they would. I thought they would take care of Stanford, and I thought they would honestly lose to whoever else they had to play in the tournament. And that Stanford game. I mean, if they if Stanford could hit a free throw, Arkansas, they would have played different teams. Obviously, if they'd lost to Stanford, but um, nearly. I mean, they could have gone 0-3 in the Bahamas after losing to UNC Greensboro, so definitely a downward trend for Arkansas right now. And I think the most, the player I'm most disappointed in is Trevin Brazil because earlier this year on one of our, our first podcasts, we talked about how he's a lottery pick. I said he'd be a top-10 pick easy. Ever since that UNC Greensboro game, he's looked really bad, and he, he was turning the ball over in the first half of that UNC Greensboro a lot, and they were – they were really bad turnovers. They weren't even close. He's missing dunks every game, it seems like. Um, in that Stanford game, there was a lot made that he had 17 rebounds, I think it was. Three of those were on one trip where he missed two dunks and and got a rebound, got his own rebound like three times and finally got fouled on like the third dunk attempt, I think. And it's like he's not learning from that. It's it's just so – it would be so easy for him to just put the ball in the basket, but he's trying to get these – and maybe that uh, – what was it, the S- South Dakota State game last year where he had that huge thunder dunk and made every dunk of the year contest and all that stuff. It's like he's trying to do that every time he gets the opportunity when it would just – it would help the team a lot more if he would just put the ball in the basket and not try to get some thunder dunk. Um, so I've just – yeah, I've just been – just pretty disappointed that's in his play that that's not even to mention all the extracurricular stuff like that that little kick that he gave that guy on the floor that was just that was embarrassing on a a lot of different in a lot of different ways one that that he would even do that and also it was just so soft it's like if you're gonna kick a guy you know kick him you know he kind of just like (laughs) tapped him with his foot get your money's worth yeah, and so... Um, and it was weird because it was just enough, like, you could see his intention was definitely to kick him. It's, it's like, almost like you think if if it's that soft, somebody would have rethought... the. It was, like, because you rethought the process in the middle of it and just, like, caught yourself. It wasn't like that. It was full intention the whole time, but it was such a soft kick. I'm sorry, I just had to I had to get that in there. I have a lot of thoughts about that oh, yeah. kick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the kick heard around Atlantis. Yeah, um, so just super disappointed with Trevin Brazil's play and his extracurriculars, I guess you'd call them. Just kind of boneheaded mistakes in every facet of the game right now. Turnovers, missing dunks, kicking people. Um, so I would just, if, if Arkansas is going to go out and beat Duke on Wednesday, 
Trevin Brazil, Trevin Brazil is going to have to have a huge game, especially if Tremont Mark is out, because obviously Mark was your best option offensively. I think if he's out of the game, it's going to be Trevin Brazil. So he just needs to have a huge game. He needs to leave the Bahamas in the behind him. All that other stuff of um, all the technicals that he was getting and the, the missed dunks, he just needs to leave all that in Atlantis. I think we're going to leave it right there, take a break. On the other side of it, I'll get in a little bit more to Trevor Brazil and maybe some of the other concerns uh, I have with, with Arkansas's basketball team ahead of Wednesday's game against Duke. Uh, and then we'll do some Arkansas women's basketball talk, definitely do Talia – Talia Scott talk and then Ethan might have a Talia Scott fact of the week which I think we're going to make a segment out of weekly Um, stay stay with us we'll be right back on the basketball podcast of Mid-America stay on top of all Arkansas Razorback sports with a digital plus subscription on the Hogs Illustrated app get complete Razorbacks coverage in one location your subscription gives you 20 plus issues of Hogs Illustrated magazine the most unique and compelling coverage anywhere in the state plus total access to all the content on wholehogsports.com, including breaking news, commentaries, analysis, features, recruiting, award-winning photos, and premium message boards. Subscriptions start at just $17 per month. Join the Hog Sports Network team at subscribe.waco.com. That's subscribe.wehco.com. Or call 479-684-5509 to get your front-row seat to Arkansas Razorback Sports. Go Hogs! Welcome back in to the basketball podcast of Mid-America. Blake, probably felt pretty good for you getting that stuff about TB off your chest. I've got a couple other things that I think I'm a little bit concerned about with the with the basketball team that we haven't already discussed. You know, I think at the top of my list, it's just, it's kind of flow on the offensive end of the floor. I'm not I'm not quite sure what I think about the ball movement and I do agree with you know a lot of people on our message board it does seem like a lot of perimeter oriented offense and then just try to figure out something you know in the last 10 seconds of the shot clock there's been been a little bit too much of that I think for me to feel completely comfortable with which I understand that like your roster is kind of like ideal like your roster is built f- to handle that kind of thing but it's it's difficult to consistently get offense that way. And then earlier I mentioned the uh, you know the lack of steals and the havoc creation and and defending without fouling. That's going to be a, a big thing, especially as you get more consistently into the schedule where you're you know facing guys that are you know a lot of nights equally as athletic and and gifted. Maybe one of my top concerns at this point is um, what we've seen from Trevor Brazil from a usage standpoint. And I wrote about this in the um, kind of the Atlantis analysis column that I wrote. Trevin was five of 17 on two point attempts in Atlantis and four of the makes on seven attempts were immediately after grabbing an offensive rebound. So if you wanna do some quick math with me, five of 17 and four of 10, or four of seven, that leaves you one of 10 on two-point attempts. And if you look, I mean, he made three threes in Atlantis, so made a grand total of four shots, three threes in three games that weren't, that were like non-offensive rebound, put back buckets. 
that's, I mean, y'all agree, right? That's that's a little bit concerning. Um, and y'all can y'all can stop me at any point. I just think that right now he's he's a little bit too perimeter oriented, and it's almost like he's playing as a like as a a three instead of a four. Um, and I wrote this. I said I'm going to be interested to see how he's used in the half court against Duke, and you know moving forward whether he's placed in like some ball screens or in that dunker spot, the dunker spots along the baseline is like a potential lob threat. Or if he's going to continue to kind of float on the perimeter for threes, which, I mean, he's got a good shot from three. No mistake about make no mistake about it. And I'm not trying to say that he'd get on the block, boy, and ask for the ball and back somebody. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not that person. I understand where basketball is these days. And Trevin's got one of the most repeatable shots from deep on the on the team, and he's a big weapon, especially when he's hitting shots. You draw the four or the five man away from the rim, and that opens up so much stuff for everybody else. Um, but does he keep does he keep kind of floating on the perimeter for threes and like the occasional dribble drive? Because he opened the season with a dribble drive, right? And I think that got everybody really excited. He put somebody into the core of the earth with a dunk. And we've seen him get a little bit shifty off the dribble a little bit this year. But in Atlantis, it just – I don't think it – I don't really think it it worked at all, really. I saw, like, a lot of two and three dribble, half spin, back to the basket, pass it back out to the perimeter. Am I, did you did you guys kind of see the same thing? Or am I making too much of it? I just think that the, the one of ten inside the arc, I mean – this, I think he's got, like, right now, I think with what he's doing, I almost feel like unless he's knocking down threes, it almost feels like you're capping him at, like, maybe 13, 14 to 16 points a game, whereas if maybe you put him in some ball screens, the dunker spot, that kind of stuff, still let him use his athleticism. Um, ball screens, pick and roll, pick and pop, whatever. I feel like you can you can unlock him just a little bit more. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. I just think that right now it's kind of, you know, what was the last percentage that we got from him? What percentage back he was? Oh yeah, he said he was like one hundred and twenty percent. I don't know. If, I think he's back down to just one hundred ten or a hundred now. Um, just from what I've seen, it just seems like, I don't know if right now the physicality is there to be is like. Sometimes I just don't see the physicality there, other than like trying to like Blake said just make a highlight dunk with the most authority you've ever seen in your life. But like, in like, especially defensively, um, sometimes offensively, I'm like, I just don't know if like, it's almost like he feels to me like kind of playing to his strength right now of like perimeter. He's just not as, I don't know. He's that guy that can really just back somebody down or I think he's good off the drive. Like, you know, catch it on the perimeter. Like we said, the first play of the year and take somebody off the dribble um, because he poses that threat from deep. I don't really know like what to make of like usage offensively right now because it, it almost seems like maybe he's not physical enough to be you know everybody looks at his height and they just want him to be like dominant around the rim like he's not some Daniel Gafford who's you yeah. know just gonna give it to him down low and just let him go to work um and I mean Arkansas doesn't really have a guy like that this year in my opinion um or even close to like that um so you just wonder like with him how you can utilize his height 
and still let him, you know, show off his perimeter ability. I mean, he can clearly shoot the ball. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it is something you're lacking is kind of that threat, at least, of kind of your four. Like, I mean, like you mentioned, like it's so much of the offense seems like it just hangs out on the perimeter, especially late game, I've noticed. Like late game, um, for some reason, it's like the, it hangs out on the perimeter and then you're just driving it, hoping for a main basket or getting to the foul line. Mm-hmm. It's like if... I don't know. It's like you just need to get some more at least options offensively as far as you're not just uh, like hoping for somebody to make a play at the last second or get to the foul line. No, I totally, I'm totally with you. And I think that that's that may have been – I think the Layden blocker emergence in Atlantis and kind of L. Ellis taking a little bit of a backseat to blocker was probably A1 for me in terms of – takeaways we'll see if that continues but the trevin brazil thing and i I do i don't want this to turn into a a trevin brazil bashing because i I don't feel like that's what i'm i don't feel like i'm doing that and i hope i'm not coming across that way um just some things that i think i was a little bit surprised with i think in in atlantis um i mean granted the competition that you're facing in MTEs like that, nothing is going to be easy on the interior. And TB said as much on Monday when we talked to him, still would have thought that he'd finish, you know, more than one of 10 two-point attempts that weren't, you know, offensive rebound putback type shots. Um, I think he was like three for nine from three. I think you'll you'll take that. Uh, I think he had a couple rattle out. I don't mind his perimeter shot. I don't. I don't mind his perimeter shot selection. Um, I just don't know that him. I don't think that dribble drives are, right now are are the way to go with him. I would much rather, I think, see some pick and roll, pick and pop stuff, and that's. It's kind of a two. It's two things have to work well in that game. TV's got to set physical screens which you're risking him picking up an offensive foul each time that you put him in a ball screen. I still think that's maybe the best way to utilize him, though. But whoever you're putting him in a ball screen with has got to know how to manipulate a defense to make TB as effective as he can be in that ball screen. And right now, I mean, I think perfect world, everybody's healthy, it's T-Mark. For me, I think a number two would probably be Caleb Battle. Caleb Battle's got to stay on the floor, man. Because right now he's fouling a lot. Um, Tremont Marks, not healthy at the moment. You don't feel like you're going to have him. So where do you go potentially? Uh, I think if Caleb Battle's not in foul trouble, it's him. It's him at the moment if, if T Mark is out. Devo Davis, I think he's he can, I think he can probably do that too. It would be interesting to see if Arkansas put Layden Blocker. Uh, maybe in those ball screens too, just to see how the how the freshman reacts to that because he's he's a he's a guy that you've got to keep in front of you because he he's got enough ups to really really put pressure on an opposing big at the rim too. He's got crazy athleticism. Other, yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing like TB. Like yeah, I don't want, I don't I yeah. really hope that the the yeah. last like 10 or 15 minutes or so however yeah. it feels like we've been going because i still completely him, but... feel like he is 
so invaluable. Like yeah, what he brings the, to the floor. I feel like he's almost the key to this. Yeah, that's. I think that's why we focus so much on him is because he like you saw what happened last year. I know totally different team last year. With I mean, every every Eric team is going to be different. Um, but like how much he brings to the court as far as like he impacts every part of the game. I feel like I think all we're saying. Um, you just, I think more or less people maybe want to see him do things that are simply not in his right now game. And I feel like he might be pot, trying to play to those strengths and just needs to cut out on maybe some of the mental, like, I mean, like we're talking about the unnecessary extracurriculars or like, just like Blake said, maybe finishing like on your putbacks, just, just kind of go for like the easier play. Um, um, I think Devo Davis does a great job of that. There's so many times I see in a game where Devo Davis will, um, like he could have a huge dunk or something if he wanted. He always goes for the layup, I feel like. I mean, aside from Auburn end of game, um, whenever he, uh, you know, dunked on the dude, but the game was over at that point. All I'm saying is that there's sometimes the easy play isn't the highlight play, but it's the play the team needs. I think Trevin Brazil brings so much to the team, and you can never overstate how much. I know we're how many, seven games in? They're four and yeah. three seven games into a year after missing most of a year with an ACL injury, like the, it still takes time. Um, I know he like is like you, he's so athletic. It's almost like you forget that it takes time because of some of the stuff you still see him doing, but it still takes time. I think that he's invaluable without him. Like you take him off the court and I don't think much really like can happen with this team to be honest. Yeah. TB had 17 offensive rebounds in the first two games. That's really good, guys. Like, really good. And credit to him because he he's been skying for boards like 13 feet up, which I don't even know what that's like. I can't even imagine. But he's just like he's going up utilizing his length in addition to, um, you know, he's got really good bounce for for a big guy. And I talked to his dad after the Stanford game and Ron Brewer, which was pretty – that was a pretty neat deal for me to get to talk to Ron Brewer after the game and talk to him about TB. And he's like – he Ron was like, you know, he's not – wait till he gets in basketball shape because right now it doesn't seem like he's in basketball shape. But he was like huffing and puffing out there but he didn't want to come out. And TB's dad was like, I think the thing I'm that I'm most proud of is that he's – you know, he's not afraid to, you know, mix it up on that – you know, freshly rebuilt knee, and I agree with that. I think TB, he helped Arkansas grab 35.1% of its misses uh, when he was on the floor in Atlantis, which is a really good number. Um, but, yeah, I think if he just finishes those putbacks more efficiently um, and just finishes around the rim in general more, I think that, that would obviously aid Arkansas. I don't want to keep beating a dead horse. I think just putting in – I think Arkansas just – and this this is why I'm not a head coach because I'm probably totally wrong on this. But I feel like Arkansas's – Arkansas can maximize him by keeping some of the things that he's doing but adding maybe the, the ball screen element to it. Um, but I think – I just don't think Arkansas can be – it. it its best version of itself if TB's really just offensive rebound putbacks and threes. Mm -hmm. I just – I think there's – I think TB's got so much talent 
And if that's kind of all, I want to say all he's doing, but if that's what like his two main sources of offense are, um, I think it's kind of a, I don't know if disservice is the right word, um, but I think he can do so much more than that. We'll do one more, get into one more thing real quick. Um, TB related again, him and Devo Davis in the third game against North Carolina, no points, three rebounds. I think you need more from your preseason All-SEC guys, especially on a stage like Atlantis. You know, you're playing for third place in a in a really well-thought-of MTE against a, a blue blood of the game, and it was kind of crazy to see those guys. Like, I think Arkansas was much better when they were not in the game, which is absolutely insane to say. Um, but yeah, I think I think Arkansas just needs its its core guys to be composed and consistent and lead, and they have to they got to do that. They got to lead by example for sure, and then and then lead by example. And part of leading by example, I think, is is producing and and really helping this team. Because I like we mentioned with TB, I don't think Arkansas can hit its hit its best version of itself without those two guys playing pretty well. Early on in one of these first episodes, we talked about it's a new team every year, and it's going to take time. It's going to take time to build chemistry. It's going to take games being played together. I think you, you know you were just talking about Devo and um, the team possibly being better without him on the court. You know, um, was wasn't it last year that Devo like stepped away from the team for a little bit, and it was very weird. It was a weird yeah. situation. They kept asking Musselman. He was just say like he's not with the team right now. Um, I think it's going to take time for Devo to to gel with these guys, and a lot of time that's it, that's chemistry, and it's also personality and stuff, and. Um, I was not surprised at all at the at the results in Atlantis, but I still think this is a it's a cla- I think still think it's a classic Muslim team that's going to struggle in November and December, start getting better by January and February, and by March nobody's going to want to play this Arkansas team. Would agree with that. I'm going to throw a couple more Atlantis basketball things at you, and then a couple non basketball Atlantis things at you, and then we'll move on to to Leah Scott. Um, this CBB analytics site, again, shout out to them. Arkansas on offense made 49.2% of its 65 shots at the rim last week. You're not going to beat Duke on Wednesday if you can't finish at the rim. That's just – it's it's not going to happen. Arkansas was also 11 of 30 on other field goal attempts in the paint. You've got to finish. Um, and then stepping outside, literally um, – Arkansas shot 31.5% from three-point range on 18 attempts per game in Atlantis. Dating to the loss to UNC Greensboro, Arkansas is shooting 27.2% from three. The last basketball-related thing I have from Atlantis is I thought Jeremiah Davenport – we'll kind of close the on-court stuff with, with, a, with a positive for a change, I guess. I thought Jeremiah Davenport was – kind of like a light for Arkansas in a way against North Carolina. The day before against Memphis, he didn't play, woke up with foot soreness, was in a boot that day. Um, get some, get some, Finally gets some burn on Friday, and he comes in and, 
you know, I wrote that, you know, he, he, he came in and he made some mistakes and there were some misses um, offensively, but I was just so impressed with his body language and he was really fighting with Harrison Ingram a lot. Um, North Carolina really wanted to back Harrison Ingram down because he's, he's got a wagon and they were trying to back him down. They were trying to back – Arkansas originally had Tremont Mark on Harrison Ingram and Harrison Ingram's got some weight advantage. He's got a weight advantage on Tremont Mark, no doubt. So Arkansas puts Jeremiah Davenport in there, and I thought he battled really hard. And, you know, he's making these kinds of plays that, um, you know, he's on the floor, and then as soon as the, you know, officials blow their whistle and Arkansas is about to get the ball back, he's sitting on the floor, and he kind of he's doing one of those patented let's-go screams. Did that had several of those moments, and I, I immediately thought back to the quote from Grant Morgan, where if you're juiceful, you're useful, and that's exactly what Arkansas needed on the third game of a back-to-back-to-back. And you know, I think he he probably like with a couple other guys, he probably earned himself some brownie points with you know the energy that he brought. He still needs some confidence shooting the ball, I think, but he did a pretty good job after he was run off the three-point line of taking a couple of dribbles, knocking down a mid-range jumper. And, you know, for a shooter that's kind of struggling like he is, you see a ball go through the net once, that's that's a pretty big deal. Last couple of Atlantis things, non-basketball related. The last night that I uh, – Friday night, so after the North Carolina game, in the sports book watching games – and a guy comes in and he is stressing a $10,000 parlay. Like the bet itself was $10,000 parlay. And he was watching every second hanging on pins and needles. It was on pins and needles. And he was just sweating out the Bucks game, NBA game that night. And the game was not on. So he had his ESPN game cast up. And that's how he found out that he hit the final leg of his parlay. It was totally electric. It was absolutely electric. Um, Did he buy you a pina colada or anything, or was it drinks on him? So I think what happened was he went and cashed his ticket. I'm not sure how much it actually paid out. I didn't actually see the ticket, but um, apparently they gave him like eight free drink tickets, and I got two of them. So I handed one of mine to a Northern Iowa fan who – I think Northern Iowa won the um, the seventh place game. I think they beat Stanford, if I'm not mistaken. I was yeah. like, "Good job ending your trip on a high note." Here, here you go, have this. And he was just, he was thankful. But yeah, that was a uh, that was a that was a pretty neat deal, I have to say. All right, time for the Talia Scott stat slash fact of the week from Ethan. Yeah, I'll first I'll give a little update on the team what they did, and then I'll give my Talia fact um they also played in a multi-team event um played in the fort myers tip-off in florida on the beach so they were also getting good weather um their first game looked a lot like arkansas stanford where they did not play well and they had like 22 points at half or something and found a way to win i mean i don't think they'll play that bad again and win just to be honest as far as like they just didn't look good for the whole first half um but they grounded out a win there. Michaela Daniels, their senior leader, had 22 points, 
that's big for them. Um, she's all SEC by the coaches preseason, so you need her stepping in games. Like, like that was a game that it felt like senior leader making sure you don't lose a game that you shouldn't. But then they play, they played really bad the next day against Marquette. Um, specifically the first quarter, they were down at one point like 17 to 3. Um, the first quarter has killed them a lot of times this year. I was actually looking at numbers before this, and they um, – a lot of it dictates on how many threes they're taking in the first quarter. It's like they figure out by the time the second or third quarter rolls around, like, hey, maybe we need to let the threes come more in the flow of the offense other than just run down there and jack up, like, not just threes, but deep threes a lot of times. Yeah, that's um, some interesting data you've got on this little note yeah, you got there. Yeah, three, the, the three first quarters they've scored the most points in are the three they've taken the three fewest or the, the least three-pointers in. Um, they scored 22 against UCA, taking six threes. That's the fewest... Um, or it's tied with the fewest. Uh, they took six against Murray State, which is the third highest scoring that they've had um, in the first quarter. But all that to say, they just killed themselves in the first quarter. Um, they really Wisconsin, they did too. They were lucky to get a win there. But um, they a- after the first quarter, I mean, it was like a two-point Marquette advantage the whole rest of the game or something. Um, or after the first half, I believe, Um but it all happened really in the first quarter. So they dropped six and one. They're still projected to be a tournament team. Um, ESPN has them like the last team in. And Marquette is really good. Don't get me wrong. I think they're they're ranked number 22, the poll that came out today. But yeah, definitely they have a tough week ahead. They play at Florida State and the ACC. The ACC, SEC, we've been talking about Duke. It goes men's and women's as well this year. Uh, yeah, part the of the uh, ACC, SEC challenge. I remember driving down to Galveston with my wife to get ready to go on a cruise and the um the matchups were announced on the on the men's side. So this is the first year of, of that challenge. Arkansas's men play Wednesday, eight fifteen ESPN, and then the women play when? Uh Thursday at six PM on ESPN two. That's at Florida State. Yeah, who's ranked number fifteen. So that's gonna be a tough game for them. And they turn around on Sunday and host a number two UCLA. So wow. They could very well be staring at maybe a three-game losing streak unless they pull off an upset. I mean, just to face it very realistically. How do you think Arkansas, like the women, match up with Florida State? And then do you know much about UCLA? UCLA? I know more about Florida State right now than UCLA, but, I mean, Florida State, I mean, it's going to be a track meet is all that I know is they both teams, like Florida State scores like northbound of like 88 points gonna a co- game. We're going to come back in here next week and Talia Scott's going to have gone for like 40 <laughs> no, against Florida State. No joke, but uh, I think UCLA has a little bit more interior presence, so that could be – it's going to be two different types of games, but they could very well – I could I could see them making it a game with one of the two, maybe shock – and get a big win. He uh, under Mike Neighbors, they've been able to do that several times, like get big upsets. But could very well be staring at a three-game losing streak. But he said before the season, um, didn't want to not his team to not know like about what they're made of before SEC rolls around. I think this will. I mean, even their loss to Marquette, they lost by sixteen. You look at the score, seventy-four, fifty-eight. You're like, okay, yeah, that's a you lost pretty handily. But at the same time, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not like you just weren't competitive, right? Um. I think they're going to learn some things. It's a new team as well. Um, but let me give you my Talia Scott uh, stat of the week. She won freshman of the week again, second straight week doing it. Um, so, Scott, the sky is blue. Yeah. So my stat of the week for her is she's fourth in Division One with 48 free throws made 
and she's 87.5% from the foul line, um, which is best in the SEC. But the more uh, kind of where I'm going with this is Mike Neighbors. I believe it was something that um, they did on one of the Hogs Plus podcasts, um, maybe their morning one with Z and uh, Quinn. Um, it was Mike Neighbors today. And Talia Scott, he said, is like really big on just like she, like a lot of players do, struggles with like comparison of like looking at what I'm doing compared to what they're doing. And uh, I think that she she had a couple down games. And I mean, she won freshman of the week, but she had a couple down games and Fort Myers scoring 18 and 21. Um, so Jesus. Mike had to compare her. Uh, like he pulled up Kelsey Plum's. This was a, a blind comparison. He pulled up Kelsey Plum, who was his star player at Washington as the NCAA points career record holder. And then Talia's first seven games. And he put them side by side and wanted her to guess like whose was whose, um, like who who he was showing. And uh, when we told her Kelsey Plum, uh, one of the things he mainly pointed out was Kelsey Plum ended her career with like the most free throws made ever in division one women's basketball. And Talia has double, more than double that right now. Wow. So that's why my whole stat of the day centers around her free throw makes. She's made 48. Um, I think that she missed four in their first game. And since then has missed two. So mercy. And she gets the line a lot. Uh, Mike Neighbors' teams are like are all in, in order. He likes uh, free throws, layups, three pointers. Like he needs those things. She's One, got two and three. Yeah, like she gets the line. Um, I might have layups and free throws. He likes those three things. I know sure. threes are the end. Uh, layups, fr- layups, free throws, three pointers. I believe layups. Yeah, and she's got those first two absolutely. Like on lock. I mean, she can get the layups and she can get the free throws. And the three ball, she had four made threes. She was struggling from three. Had four made threes combined entering the Fort Myers game and then made four in the first game against Wisconsin, two against Marquette. So if she can start hitting her threes like that, I mean, dangerous. I was looking at your screen, not to be a creep, but 34.9 minutes per game this year. Do you think, is that sustainable for her? I think it might have to be. Honestly, it's like, She's. I mean, I guess we can kind of go back to what Eric has said in the past that like college kids that most more often than not play just two games a week, mm-hmm. and so it's not like you're playing a back to back and then flying to a different city and playing, you know, three games in four nights that kind of thing. I think that I think she I think she can probably yeah. do that. And the thing is, in the past, he's had teams that like players have to do like thirty four point whatever thirty four point nine. Um, that's a lot of minutes, don't get me wrong. But in the past, I mean, he has had players do that all the time. I think that he likes the plus-minus looking at it. He understands that sometimes it's like like Sam Spencer, who's their point guard. Um, hers is sometimes lower because she's usually on the floor a lot of times with, like, different lineups because she's a really good piece to just kind of help dictate. So her plus-minus is lower just because it has to factor in all these different lineups. But he does like the plus-minus. And Talia's and Sailor on the team are just – they're just up here, like – I think he's going to continue to play her a lot of minutes. He needs to. She is a bucket. <laughs> and she's pretty good defensively, too. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's my Talia Scott update of the week. Uh, she'll. We're going to have to sure. get, like, some special music for whenever he gives us this. I'll be like, Blake, play the music. And I'm then, sure she'll continue to give me new stats, I'm though, sure she will, man. She, she is, is a, uh, literally a joy to watch, Yeah, for she sure. is. And she's like a, I've said it before, she's like a running back. Once she sees a lane to the basket, <laughs> she just knows how to find the crease. And it's like she tucks it and she makes sure I'm getting to the rack and I'm either getting fouled or, and it's a lot of times and ones. Like she is so good finishing. Like 
one of the best I've seen finishing like around the rim out of a guard in a long time. I think time. you can look that up on CBB analytics too, like and ones per game. Maybe yeah. not individually, but yeah. Um, Anyways, real, she, real, she's good. Real quick before we get out of here, Duke predictions. Does Arkansas bounce back? Do they beat Duke? I'm not. I'm not exactly sure what a point spread is. I haven't looked yet. I probably can. Do you have any thoughts on on Arkansas Duke? And do you think Arkansas can knock Duke off? My prediction is going to be, I think not having Traymon Mark, which I'm completely like expecting them not to. Um, it would shock me if he's there. I think they get beat pretty handily, just to be honest. I mean, that's my gut feeling right now. I don't think that it's going to be as – I think some people think they're just going to get embarrassed. I don't think that's going to be the case, but it wouldn't surprise me like a 10 to 15-point loss wow. by the end of it. I think I think by the end of it, I think that there will probably be stretches in the second half where you're like, we have it within a few possessions of Duke, and then by the time the game ends, it might you might be looking at like a 13, 12, 13-point loss. That's my pick. Blake, you got a thought? Prediction? Well, you know, with all this talk about Trevin today, I'm, I'm going to predict that he has a redemption arc in this game, not necessarily leading Arkansas to a win, but I think he will finally make a big crowd-pleasing thunder dunk that really gets the crowd into it. But I think Arkansas loses in a squeaker. I don't think it's going to be a squeaker. I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I can't really predict Arkansas to win right now, especially with Tremont Mark being questionable. Totally get, totally get that. I want y'all to do some counting with me real fast, okay? One, two, three, four. Arkansas had Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday between games. I'm not going against Eric Musselman with four days between games. Even though Saturday was technically a travel day, he has told us that he was not just twiddling his thumbs and just upset because they couldn't get home, you know, quicker than they were. He was trying to figure this stuff out, man. And I think Arkansas wins. And even even if Tremont doesn't play, which it seems like he's doubtful, I think they go in with a plan to um, – know really ratchet up some defensive intensity some pressure and I think that's the key to the whole game to be real honest and I think offensively it's going to be it's probably going to have to be a little bit more by committee like you're going to need to get maybe seven eight nine points from Jeremiah Davenport Um, maybe you get 12 to 15 from Caleb Battle maybe you get that many from TB maybe Layden Blocker gives you six or seven like that would be that would be a huge plus but to me it comes down to Arkansas is not forcing steals like they're outside the top. They're outside. They're 304th nationally. And I brought this up to Eric yesterday and ruined, like made the mood even more sour in the basketball facility. 304th nationally with a 7.3% steal rate. Arkansas was top 25 in that category last year. So Arkansas is not forcing steals. And Duke is currently 18th with an offensive turnover rate of 13.2%. So that team takes care of the basketball can Arkansas turn the intensity up? Can the, can Arkansas get the crowd into it and make that a factor? I think Arkansas can, and I think Arkansas wins. The defense, though, if the defense doesn't bring it, I just I just don't know. 
but the matchup to watch to me is whoever is on um, Jeremy Roach, Arkansas's lead guard, kind of the head of the snake that gets everything else going a little bit. And then what does Arkansas do with Kyle Filipowski? Because if you look at the Ken Palm player of the year ratings as of like right now, Filipowski's fourth. And so he's he's been playing really, really well. He um 63.2% on two-point attempts this uh this year. He's coming off a 21 and 14 game against Southern Indiana. He had 25 and 8 against Arizona, who's also got a really good big and Umar Balo. Like Filipowski can he can play. And there's obviously lots of talent around him. Um, but I think you just you've got to make it. You got to give the the crowd a reason to really get into it, and I think if if that happens, Arkansas Arkansas is going to pull it out. I'm glad that we started with me because I feel like we just gradually got more optimistic. Like I started cup half empty, we ended with cup half full with you, and then Blake was somewhere in the middle of just I don't care which one it is. But yeah, no, I mean I'm glad that we got me out of the way because I, like I said earlier, I could it wouldn't shock me if Arkansas pulled off an ops pulled off an upset, but it would surprise me like just with what we've seen, but. Yeah, Scotty, I like your optimism. Arkansas, so I wrote a note after Arkansas's win against Stanford. Arkansas had at least four days before their first game. Uh, so they basically had the same difference. So UNC Greensboro, you had Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off, play Wednesday. This time you get Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off and play Wednesday again. Arkansas is 27-5 and five under Eric Musselman in games after four-plus days off. Um, Eric's teams don't lose that often when you've got that much. That, that scouting much time report's gonna games. be that scouting report's gonna be pretty like they should know the players' girlfriends' names. And I'm just I'm, I'm I think I'm more optimistic maybe than the average fan. Um, but Eric Eric probably took he took obviously complete control of the um, of the cutups with the video from those three games. I would have to imagine that other staff members were, you know, digging pretty deep in, into Duke and strengths and weaknesses and all that kind of stuff. Arkansas did not practice uh, until Wednesday afternoon, about two o'clock. But I think two days, two days on the floor. That's I think that's enough time to to drill some musts into into these guys' heads. And I, th I think they'll be I think they'll be ready to play. It'll be one of those games where the building is going to be electric if players can can make it more so and then bring their own energy too. I think it could I think it could be a, a, a pretty special night. I, I remember writing back in the summer when this game was announced, I wrote a column for the magazine. I said it could be a moment in time. I think it still can be. Um, Arkansas was unranked when it beat number one Auburn a couple of years ago. Remember that because that's when Arkansas – that was kind of the game that, that pushed Arkansas closer, I think, to the top 25 at that point, um, maybe in February, I believe. So I'm, I think I'm optimistic. Um, maybe despite what I saw last week, and I, just, I think I've just got complete and total trust in, in Eric to, um, to get it figured out, man, is he's not a – what went wrong and I don't know. You know what I mean? Eric's gonna he's gonna get to the bottom of it. I think I think he will. He'll have I think he'll have his guys ready to go. Whether they make shots or not might be a different might be a different thing, but I think they're gonna have something something unique planned for Duke defensively.
Appreciate you guys joining us this week on the Basketball Podcast of Mid-America. Um, potentially doing another pod later this week if, if Arkansas beats Duke on Wednesday. We'll try to get something out um, again later in the week. But if not, um, appreciate you listening. For Ethan Westerman and Blake Sutton, I'm Scotty Borderline. Appreciate you joining us on the Basketball Podcast of Mid-America. The proceeding has been a production of the Hog Sports Network. Look for our daily podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. For more Razorbacks coverage, go to wholehogsports.com or follow the Hog Sports Network reporters on social media.